Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing engineer. Well, hello to you out there. I've got to say it's taking a turn. It's definitely getting cold now. Winter is starting to arrive. I mean, it's kind of autumn, but winter. And um, I really like it. This is the time of year I really like. I really like it when it's cold and it gets dark. I don't know why. Maybe I'm weird, but that's just the way I'm built. Anyway, this week I've got an interview with Connor Gaffney. He is one of the guitarists and the singer of Anchor Lane. Anchor Lane are a band I've discovered in lockdown and there was something about them that just kind of captivated me. I can't really explain it. I just, just really liked the way I approach and their music and all that kind of thing. So I was really pleased to have a sit down chat with Connor about all sorts of things. On this episode, we're discussing using demos to get perspective the perils of promoting your band on social media and vindictive headlining bands. I'll say no more. I'll let that story tell itself. It's just maybe worth saying as well that Connor tells himself at several points not to swear. It's not that I particularly care, but I do ask my guests not to swear just because the powers that be when it comes to podcasting don't like it and your show kind of gets punished and no one can find it and it gets difficult when that kind of thing happens. So it's just best avoided, to be honest. Anyway, on with the interview. So today on the podcast, I'm joined by Connor of Anchor Lane. Connor, how are you? I'm not bad. How are you, Phil? I'm very well, you know. Got a, got a cup of tea, so can't complain. <laughs> That's good. I've, I've got a bottle of water. That's Oh, it's all very healthy here, isn't it? Not very rock and roll. Um, my, my first question, as always, is from a random question generator. And my, <laughs> the random question generator says, what's the best and worst things about getting older? The best and worst things about getting older? Uh, best thing about getting older is more experiences. Worst thing about getting older is less time. Yeah, that's that's very succinct and very, I, yeah, I agree with that completely. <laughs> Can't really argue with that. So, so my first kind of real question is, how did you get into music in the first place? I've always been, always been interested in music. Always been, you know, from when I was a wee boy, uh, my dad played guitar and sang. So that's always been something that's I've been around and, and, and involved in. Even when I was just hitting the strings and didn't know how to play any chords, and you know, singing "Ba Ba Black Sheep" or whatever nonsense I was singing at three or four years old, but. Yeah, I mean, I kind of always, always did. Like all my, like my brothers, they they play instruments and sing, and um, my cousins all play the guitar and sing. And so it's like when my, when my family on my dad's side get together, that's that's what we do is we get the guitar out and we sing songs. And that this was like normal for me growing up, but apparently that's <laughs> apparently that's not normal. It is a bit. <laughs> so so to answer the question, I've always been involved in music. Um, with regards to like when I got involved with uh, music as being what has become my my career and my job, uh, it was about uh, let me think 2000, 2015, So six six years ago was when uh, I formed what would become Anchor Lane with a few people that I was at college with, and it just started kind of snowballing from there. We got a decent name rather than being called whatever nonsense we were called back then, and uh, just annoying annoying every promoter in and around uh, Central Belt of Scotland uh, until they gave us gigs and uh, and now now we're here so I've, I've got to ask what was the original band name the original band name are you ready for this are you ready for this you did say to me don't swear this isn't a swear word but 
it's still, I don't know, it's mildly inappropriate. Uh, we were called Eight Balls, and there was, f- there was four members. Um, so you oh, can, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Funnily enough, it started off as a college band name, and that's a very that's a very college band name. It, yeah, it screams of a band name that's not going to last. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it screams of a of a, a band name that was made for a cheap laugh. Yes, well, these things always happen, don't they? And then you kind of work out what you actually want to do with it. <laughs> you say you you got together in college. Um, what? kind of happened then did you just start to rehearse and do some covers and things like that or did you go straight into songwriting straight into songwriting um i mean obviously we didn't have a full set of original songs so there was some covers we did uh what did we do we did a cover of uh holiday by green day um danny california uh by the red hot chili peppers there was a couple other ones i can't really remember but no that the, the uh, from the get-go, the, the the intention was to perform and write original music, um, and uh, that was I mean that was that was the complete intention of me going to college was to go and meet musicians. It wasn't about qualifications. It wasn't about you know oh this will get me a job. Like it was about I want to be a musician. This is where I meet musicians. It's an interesting um, couple of songs that you cover there because it strikes me that your sound is quite a bit heavier than Green Day and Red Hot Chili Peppers nowadays. Is that where you, is that the kind of genre that you started in and you've got heavier over time or? Um, No, we just kind of played those songs because we liked them. Um, The songs that were being written then were much heavier than that, but it was just like, you know, I don't know, you you just, at that point it doesn't really matter if you're set, you know, if all the songs work in together because you're still kind of finding your feet. Yeah, I mean, even though our music is heavier than that, like those bands and those songs are still like a very big influence, even though they might not be an obvious one. It's those kind of more, um, I'm guessing, like teenage influences that can be that can last with you a surprising amount of time. Yes, even if it doesn't sound like it. Yeah, the uh, the late noughties emo sound is a is a big influence um, on myself uh and and on uh, a couple of other guys in the band as well fair enough <laughs> can't say i share that but there we go each to their own um so what was your first gig like as a band was it a college gig or was it something else first gig as anchor lane was oh actually this is a funny one right okay so the first gig we played as anchor lane was in a a, a venue called the buff club which is um on hmm. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see it. Have you seen any bands there? Because he'd be looking up at them, so hi. Yeah, i seen... Who did I see in there? Um, Well, I was going to say, not anyone that anyone will know, but just like, yeah, bands that we were friends with and stuff like that 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 played in there. Kind of... Kind of everybody we were friends with after we played there started like going, oh, we can play in there. So they started contacting the promoters that booked in there and stuff. You know, you know the way it kind of snowballs that way. So it's, you were the the first band to in your in your sort of group of friends. Uh, uh, to... yeah, in our small circle, 
I am not by any manner means saying we were the first band to play in the Buff Club. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fair enough. I'll upset a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Have there been any um, nightmare experience gigs? And you can feel free to not mention names and keep it as vague as is needed. Uh, Nightmare gigs. All right, okay. So this wasn't really a nightmare in the traditional sense um, because everything was going well but we were we were on tour with a band um a couple of years ago and uh, i'm probably gonna ruffle feathers saying this but i don't care um so we were on tour with a band and we had been getting really good reviews playing with them and we don't think that they liked the fact that we were getting really good reviews and so they stuck us on before the doors opened and we didn't realize until we were about to go on stage that is pretty shocking yep and uh, so we spoke to we spoke to the tour manager and he said that it was the promoter that did it. And then I couldn't find the promoter before we went on stage. So we're like, right, well, we're just going to need to go on stage and play. Um, luckily, we had, like, luckily our drummer and our bassist had met people who were down to see us. And they met them in the pub, uh, at, well, just before the show. And they said, oh, we're on at seven o'clock. And they were like, right, well, we... We'll be there, and basically they all—they were all at the door, like, no, that band's starting. We want in. So luckily, we did get a bit of a crowd. But by the time like we were halfway through our set, there was like maybe like two hundred out of a possible eight hundred people that could have been there. So we were none too happy, and I found the promoter after we played, and I cornered him, and I said, "Right, what was that all about?" And he said, oh, "I was just—it was their the headline band's management that asked me to do that." Interesting. So everyone's blaming somebody else. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you think it's you, I know it was you. <laughs> do they? Do they know it was them? That's the question. Oh, they, oh, oh the headline band. The headline do you band. Think the headline band knew. They hadn't. Yeah, yeah. They hadn't spoken to us the whole tour. Like barely said two words to us, and then see after that happened, they're all oh bring it in, all hugs and all that, and I was like, nah. I mean. It's a bit of a rough time, but maybe, you know, you've you've learned who you don't want to gig with again. Well, funnily enough, we got offered to support them again and we went, no chance. Not worth Imagine it. Imagine that. Maybe, uh, well, maybe they really liked you after all. Maybe they, <laughs> in the fullness of time. Well, we don't like them. Can't really argue with that. So you've had um, a few gigs since lockdown ended. How have you have you found them? Have you had any really weird ones where everyone was sat down and things like that? Yeah, so we 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 played a show in uh, Blackpool in the Waterloo, um, supporting a band called Empire, um, who are we'd we'd never met them before, but obviously kind of heard their name through, you know, the the usual kind of ways that you hear about people over the internet and and you know other fans talking about them and oh you should play with this band and that kind of thing. Um, so they, they gave us a shout to come and support them in Blackpool, which was great, but never played there before. Um, am I speaking too fast? No, no, no. no I'm okay. No. I always like to check because the accent can sometimes throw people off. If any Americans are listening, I'm sorry, you'll just have to deal with it. <laughs> just going to have to listen uh, and watch watch Brave before the podcast and then, and then come and listen. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we played with Empire uh, and... Um, the Waterloo in Blackpool and everyone was sat down well they were supposed to be sat down um, so we went on and played and uh, I, I did what I always do as the front man which is I get people involved I get them singing I get them clapping 
you know, so by the end of our set, it was a total party happening and people were like standing up at their seats, still at their seats, but, you know, oh, we can't, can't be standing up and enjoying ourselves. So we finished the set, got, you know, went well, came off stage and uh, the, who uh, was the manager for Empire, um, she said to me, Connor, I meant to say to you before you went on, you weren't allowed to get anybody to clap or sing. And uh, I was like, all right, well, I'm sorry, but I'd have probably made them do it anyway. And she was like, oh, listen, she said, it's just, you know, I didn't say to you, you know, so who cares? It's fair. You, you weren't told to. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, a live, it's live music. Do you know what I mean? You can't like, oh, you're not allowed to clap, you're not allowed to sing. You're just to sit there in silence and watch and watch a rock band. Like, It's not easy. No, it's not. But yeah, so we played that show and that was, a, it was weird because people were sat down and I was like, how is this going to go? And it was good. It was a good show, but there was something missing and so we didn't we didn't actually play another show until july this year and we played a a secret festival i don't know if you've seen it on our social media um we, we played a secret festival um called rivendell festival oh i've not heard of it so it's fairly secret but yeah well that's the thing is they were like you can't say where it is you can't like there was it was really really why i don't know I think it's because like the guy who organizes it just kind of puts it on and it's sort of a invite only thing. And it's, I think it's like on land that he owns. And so it's sort of a, like it keeps anyone that they maybe wouldn't want showing up on his private property from going because it's kind of hard to find, but nonetheless getting told you're playing a secret festival and not knowing who else is on the bill was, was odd. Um, and we were like, if we see one, slightly culty looking thing we're turning the van around <laughs> if anyone's if anyone's sacrificing goats or there's a pentagram or people are in cloaks we're off but no we showed up and we showed up uh, uh, and everyone was really nice and uh, ended up we were the headline band oh, <laughs> and he didn't even know <laughs> didn't, we didn't know uh, and uh, the only thing that people knew about us when we showed up to this festival was that we'd played download they didn't know any of our songs. They didn't know anything about us. They were just there for a good time. Uh, and yeah, they, they were on the good stuff that night, man. I don't know what was getting passed about, but it must have been good. My goodness. So the, the audience were kept in the dark as well? Yeah. And as far as they were concerned, you could be... Anyone. Anyone. Yeah. Just just literally anyone, because you know so many bands of different sizes play Download. It was like us, and then there was like acoustic acts, punk bands, like... It was, it, it was like, uh, yeah, it was a bit like a kind of like secret in the forest Glastonbury. Just this like really eclectic mix of bands. Sounds kind of cool, but odd. It was really cool. It was really cool. Odd. Really cool. Odd. Are you, are you still not allowed to say where it was? Is it like, no. oh, wow. Oh, that's, that's. I mean, I, I probably could. Like, I don't, I don't, like, it's not as if. I mean, let's not, but. Yeah, I, I won't. The thing is, is that it's out of respect for them. I won't. You want to be invited back potentially as well. So. Well, that's the thing is they were like, would you like to come back? And we were like, yeah, that'd be nice. Fair. Whenever it next happens, wherever it next happens, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that's like, I'm like oh, he's, he's told us too much, said too much. We'll need to move it. I can always bleep stuff out if it's needed. Anyway, um, so, so moving over a bit away from gigs, where do you rehearse and how do you rehearse as a band? Because there's lots of different methods and ways of doing that thing. So we've we've got our own um, studio which I'm I'm currently in that we uh, just pay a monthly rent for because for the amount the amount of time that we spend in here 
it would be a ridiculous amount of money, you know, to go to a rehearsal studio. So, and it means we've got all of our gear in the one place. So when we're, you know, going on tour and stuff like that, it means it's all getting picked up from the one place, you know, rather than like, I'm going through to Finiston to pick up Lawrence's amp and I'm going through to Coat Bridge to pick up Matthew's amp and I'm going to pick up Graham's drums through Greenock and, you know, it ends up adding on about three hours to your day. Um, so uh, we've got all of our stuff here and this is our rehearsal room. This is our, you know, uh, our, sh- our recording studio for our demos. It's, it's everything. And uh, yeah, we just, we don't, we don't rehearse the set if we don't have something to work towards in terms of a gig or whatever um, because like well not not to sound that way but we are a, a very tight band and there's such a thing as over rehearsing and you kind of ruin the songs for yourself you've put in the hard hours to get to that point so yes you're there in that in that regard and it's not about getting tight it's just about making sure everyone knows what the deal is for the next gig basically yeah exactly exactly it's more about like okay, what are we going to do here? Are we going to work this song into that song? Like, okay, here's a bit we can get the audience involved. Like, it's more about rehearsing the show than the songs because the songs are there. They're kind of in place. Do, do you find that you rehearse at really mad times just because you've got space that it doesn't matter when you're there? Or uh, We used to, but no, we're kind of like, the, the definite days for us is we're in on a Tuesday and a Thursday and we're in like during the day. So we're in from like 11 o'clock till about between four and six just depends on uh, like what everyone else is doing that day. Like uh, myself, myself, Lawrence, the guitarist, and Graham, we all uh, give music lessons. Um, so, like, we've got a tour coming up next month with We Were Sons. So, we're trying to kind of cram as many lessons into our days as possible because we're not going to be earning any money off of that. Uh, so, it's just about keeping everything, you know, going financially and stuff like that because we've all got bills to pay and, and, you know, Anchor Lane's not been paying for nearly two years. Yes, yes, but we're in a better position than most. We've managed to keep our studio. We've managed to keep you know everything going. We've got an album out, like so. I I can't complain about the position that we're in. It's fair. Got to got to keep positive as well in these in these times. I think it's fair to say. Yes, absolutely. So it's getting hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you mentioned that you um you use your rehearsal space as a place to demo music as well. How do you uh, write songs as a band? Do you does someone come in with an idea, or do you try and record a demo and kind of come up with it there, or how does it work? It's it's kind of changed for this this next album. So the way that it worked for the for Casino was um, a lot of it was. Uh, extremely collaborative and you know we were we were sort of we were in the studio all the time like like there was one week well I'll say one week there was a stint where we did eight days in a row like in every day um just writing um and you know that is oh, very intense but it, it's funny because it can kind of either breed really really great results or you can all hate each other after eight days and need a week off <laughs> but luckily it, it you know, it did end up, you know, we came out with, uh, well, we came out with Dead Run and Blood and Irony after those eight days. Um, and that's, you know, two of the most popular songs that we've that we've got in that album. Um, so it was worthwhile, but uh, that was a very collaborative project. Um, this time around, it's been more about people coming in with songs. Lawrence has really, really come into his own through this uh, writing period, and he's come in with loads of songs. I've come in with a few of my own as well, um, but... Uh, I don't know, there's something that's kind of switched in Lawrence's brain and he's went, 
I've got loads to say, which is good because, you know, that's what you need is you need, you know, you need something to say. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot, a lot for him to say and a lot for him to come in with. And he's, you know, he's really went, yeah, I'm, I'm going to write this and I'm going to write that and I'm going to come away with this. And so that's been good. Um, but then Lawrence brings it in and it, there's a kind of skeleton there. You know, there's there's a verse, there's a chorus, there's, a, you know, he's maybe, he'll maybe come in with just that and then go, right, okay, what are we going to go for here? Or it'll be a full idea that then gets fleshed out with, you know, Matthew will add his bass onto it and we'll decide whether or not I'm playing guitar on it or not. That's That's been a thing that we've kind of moved, messed about with a wee bit more is um playing guitar the least that I've ever played guitar in this band which is quite cool I quite like just being able to be a frontman you know with with a lot of the new songs that we're writing um, and uh, another big difference to the writing process was the fact that we've got I see he's a new drummer now he's been in the band a year but uh, Graham um, came out of the band uh, newer newest he came out of the band in uh, September last year and he's been great for for just having a fresh set of ears on things um, but he also thinks about the big picture. He's a bit of a... I think he would make quite a good producer um, because he kind of sits there and he goes, well, he's thinking about like rhythms and dynamics and things like that. And he's going, well, if we build up here, there, then this works here, blah, blah, blah. And just the way he thinks about things is in a very big picture, broad stroke kind of way of the, the kind of the landscape of the song. So yeah, it's it's we've got quite a good balance between what everyone contributes to the songwriting process. I've got to say, having someone who can see the big picture in the band is so helpful because a lot of musicians, and it's just the nature of the beast, will tend to focus more on what they're playing, and maybe if you're lucky, what the how what they're playing fits into the song. Sometimes it doesn't work that way, but there we go. And having that person who can sort of think, well, I'm playing this, sure, but how's how does everything else relate to it and how does it all work together? That's a really important thing. Yeah, no, it's uh, especially as a drummer because with experience, you know, of playing in bands since I was 12, uh, <laughs> lead guitarists and drummers are the worst for overplaying in my experience. Uh, sometimes singers, but I'm not going to say that because I'm a singer. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, and and I think that Graham's actually got a really, really good self control for is what I'm doing serving the song, or is what I'm doing like am I, am I doing it for me or the song? Um, and uh, I would say Lawrence is very good for that as well as a as a lead guitar player. He's he's very like conscious of like he's he's the only lead guitar player I've ever worked with who's went I'm not doing a solo there because it's boring. He's like it's bo- it bores me. Like, we've taken solos out of songs because he's like, I hate this. <laughs> I bet there's someone listening to this now going, what on earth? That's madness. Why would you not play a solo? <laughs> yeah. To be fair, that's if, if anyone who's listening to this podcast, if you ever meet Lawrence, that is what you'll say. You'll say, what on earth? And you'll have, you'll have multiple reasons for saying it. Do you um, find it exposing to just sing on a song? Because... The the thing that I've always heard, um, especially when um, someone is sort of, quote unquote, just a singer in the band, is they haven't got anything to hide behind. When you're a drummer or a guitarist or a bassist, especially in a gig situation, you're, you're sort of, you can almost hide behind your instrument and you're covered by something. But when you're a singer, you've got your mic and that's sort of it. 
I used to uh, when I was sort of when I was sort of like in my late teens and I was playing in a band and I was just a singer in that band and I did find it uncomfortable then and the thing I found myself doing was that I sort of clinged to the mic stand like uh, you know hoping to god that it wasn't going to fall away or something like that you know um, but now it doesn't bother me um, and that's just a, a confidence thing and you know I'm a bit you know a bit older, a bit wiser, a bit, you know, more uh, comfortable within myself. You know, when you know what it's like when you're a teenager and you're just, you know, you're embarrassed by everything. Everything's awkward. You're like an awkward shape. Your voice is awkward. Everything's like, you're just so self-conscious of everything. Um, whereas now being, you know, like 25 uh, and, and you know, having having confidence in my own ability and confidence in my ability as a frontman and as a singer, um, it doesn't really, it doesn't really bother me. I can, you know, as long as I have a microphone in my hand, um, you know, and I'm not just singing to the crowd a cappella. Yeah, it's fine. It takes some voice to sing a cappella to a crowd. Um, <laughs> so, speaking um, of uh, demos and recording and things like that, how how do you go about recording? Do you tend to go to the studio? Do you tend to record yourselves? What's your approach to that kind of thing? So the the thing for us is all about time efficiency, um, which doesn't it doesn't breed the best results in terms of how the demo sounds, but it's it is what it is. It's a demo. So what we do is we get a, an SM58 classic microphone. We put a wee foam a wee foam cover over. It. Yeah, the thing is they're so diverse. You put a wee foam cover over the top of it just to kill some of the the you know the kind of higher frequencies that we don't want. Set that in a kind of sweet spot that we've marked out on the floor uh, in between all the instruments, uh, well, all the amps and the drums. And we basically just do a live take of the demo and I'll kind of take myself behind everything else with another mic and I'll sing uh, I'll sing the, the vocals. And then if something's been touched up or something wasn't right in the, in the demo, like with my voice or whatever, then we'll fix it. But we'll just kind of take, we'll do like three, four maximum takes and then that's it because after three or four takes you start thinking about it too much and it's not about that it's about right get the idea down you know make it sound decent enough that we can listen to it and get an idea of it and live with it for a while and then move on to the next thing and then that demo is what informs you in the studio or again do you record the quote-unquote proper track at your place oh no so uh, if we were recording like the actual track uh, we would we would be going to uh you know a studio like a proper studio we we, we couldn't do it here because we've not got the the facilities for it and this maybe sounds like a brutal question I don't it's not meant to be what's the point of the demo what's it there for apart from just not forgetting the ideas I suppose the point for us is like when we listen back to it like all of us individually in our own time will then go that works that doesn't work I really like this oh I'm hearing that happening over this part so it's more about like we get down sort of the broad stroke version of the song that's quite unrefined and we go okay here's how we maybe bring that chorus in a wee bit sharper or here's how we bring that we kind of bring because uh, especially with with what we're writing now we're messing about with dynamics a lot more there's a lot more kind of highs and lows and things and so the thing you the kind of problem you can run into with that is that the dynamics feel a bit jumpy and the parts don't quite connect and so that's where, for us, listening to a demo and going, okay, 
here's how we get out that part. Because um, I, I especially find a lot of benefit to my ideas when I'm listening to the demos and I'm sat on the stationary bike in the gym. Um, because there's just that sort of like monotonous, you're just pedaling and you're just thinking about the song and there's just like, it's like, there's like, the way I imagine it is like we pathways in my brain are going, right, how do we get there? It's just kind of like, okay, maybe if we go there, blah, blah, blah. And then it goes, and I'm like, oh, I get it. I know what I need to do. And then I'm flying off the, you know, the bike or I'm sitting on the bike, like singing wee ideas <laughs> in my phone. Very quietly. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody in the gym's looking at me. They're all used to it now. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> um, it's, it's also that thing, isn't it? When, um, when you're performing a song, it's very different to listening to the song when you're not playing or not singing you get that there's a weird kind of perspective that suddenly appears where you can hear you can hear the whole thing and it's really helpful isn't it to kind of get that chance to go is it any good <laughs> or is it not yes yeah yeah no I, I i'd absolutely agree with you there um it it's funny how that can change because there was a song that we recorded for the album um, called Flatline, that when we performed that live and we performed it in the studio, we were like, oh, that's going to be a single. That's going to be a single. It's so catchy. It's so this, it's so that. And then we recorded it. And then all of a sudden we were like, no, oh, actually, Fame Shame beats it. Dead Run beats it. Casino beats it. Uh, Blood and Irony beats it. Like all these other songs that we were like, no, do you know what? Actually, these songs are better recorded. So it is, it is funny how, and it actually kind of like the recording process actually kind of ruined that song for us a wee bit. Because we were like, oh, it's amazing. And we were like, ah, it's all right. It's fine. But at least you got to that point before you put it out. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's, it's, um, it's one of those ones where, like, that maybe sounds bad that I'm saying one of my songs is all right. Like, but when you live with a song for so long, it does become like something different to you. It kind of becomes like one of your mates and they're just kind of there. You're, you're not like stroking their face anymore. You're just, they're there. Moving over again to a slightly different topic. How is the band managed? Is there a sort of single point person who's organizing things or do you share out jobs? How does that work? Uh, well, we've got a, a management team that look after us um, called No Half Measures. And uh, so they, they deal with all the, you know, PRS and booking vans and booking all the stuff that like we used to have to deal with they deal with that now which is lovely which means we can just focus on the music um so they they look after that for us um and uh, yeah I mean like we all kind of within the things that we have to manage ourselves like you know who's got to be where and at what time and things like that I'd say it's probably me that takes the the kind of lead on things like that just because I don't know. I started the band and I've always done it. So it would be weird for someone to come in and then start doing it. I don't know. For me, it would be like, no, I need to be in control of that. Um, so like majority of the time that like we're going back and forth with, you know, our management team or with, you know, someone or whatever, it's, it's usually me. Are you, are you also the, the social media person? Because there's usually someone in the band who is in charge of all the social media. It's usually... Yeah, it's usually myself or Lawrence. Um, Lawrence is quite active on the social media as well, but between the two of us. How do you work out what to post? Because there's all sorts of things about social media, about consistent posting and all sorts of things. But what, how do you work that out? Or do you just kind of make it up as you go along? Yeah, it's, uh, to be fair, 
I mean, we we do kind of talk about things. So, like, you know, we did uh, we kind of had a wee go at doing a podcast at the start of the lockdown. It was more just a, a thing for us to keep in contact with each other, and just a thing for our fans to kind of see that we're alive. And uh, it did keep the kind of social media train going. Um, yeah, I, sort of when we get like a kind of an idea for something, we we do it, but. I don't know. I wouldn't say we're an incredible band for social media. We're not terrible at it, but unless something comes together organically, we don't really like, you know, seek something to create for social media or do any of this. Nearly swore. I nearly swore. <laughs> we don't do any of this nonsense. Um, we're, we're, you know, setting up some stupid prank that the other one knows about anyway or anything like that. Like it's, you know, it's not your style. No. Uh, yeah. Like, I was watching, it's funny actually you brought up social media because it's such a big part of music now. Um, but yeah, so I was watching I was watching a video from this guy that was talking about how you promote your band on Instagram specifically. Um, and he was saying, oh, you know, you go onto a hashtag, uh, pick five hashtags and like and comment 12 posts per hashtag, right? So I was like, well, that doesn't seem too bad. And then I clicked on like hashtag grunge or something like that and I thought right okay I'll comment on this person's photo and then I sat there looking at my phone going what am I going to say that doesn't come across as I'm trying to steal your fans and doesn't and doesn't come across as I don't care what you're doing just bring all the traffic on my page and I thought it's so fake and so disingenuous and just don't swear, don't swear, don't swear. It's just, it's just fake and, and I hate it. Um, so we do things that are real and the thing is that, you know, the thing that we all love about the music that we write and, and rock music in general is that it is supposed to be authentic and I think people can smell it a mile away when a band's not authentic. Maybe they can, maybe they can, I don't know. I, I certainly can. You know, there's plenty of bands out there, not going to name any names, not going to upset anybody, that you just watch them do things and you go, you're just doing that to get people to look at you and you don't actually, like, you're not doing it because you're just a fun guy or a girl. Like, you're just doing it because you want people to look at you. And I get it, you try to promote yourself, but I don't know, man, there's something about it for me. Like, be real. If the tunes are good enough, people will listen. The thing, the way I approach... Instagram especially, is you can spend all that time commenting on other people's posts and doing that kind of thing and hoping people just kind of click on your account and see what's going on. But to be honest, probably the better thing to do is just be yourselves and put put out stuff that people actually want to look at. <laughs> it's kind of as simple as that, really. If you do that, people will come along and see what you're doing and hopefully recommend others to come and look at you. And it's, yeah, straightforward as that in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, if you do that and you just be yourself, then people are going to follow you for you and not for some daft comment you left on someone's thing that half the people lo- looked at it and went, I know what you're doing. I, I've got to say that the, this typifies what you're saying and I'm desperately hoping it's not something you've done as a band. That kind of post, I saw it on Facebook loads just a couple of weeks ago, which is tag you, tag tag a famous band oh. tag your favorite band and see if they comment back and i saw bands posting this and i'm like why <laughs> what's the point what does it do have you have have you really got no more ideas for your social media really 
Is this the point we're at? Oh, tag your favourite band, see what they say. It's just odd, isn't it? I don't get it. Maybe I'm too old. I don't get it. It's like scraping the bottom of the it's like sca- scraping the bottom of the barrel, seeing there's nothing left in it, and going for another one. And if you, if you're in a band that's done that kind of thing, I'm very sorry to all listening. But there we go. That's my honest opinion. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Come up with a better idea. <laughs> Brutal, but fair. <laughs> Can't really argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> See, the thing is, I don't think I'm being like deadly serious. <laughs> so, um, what what's been in your opinion, the biggest success of the band so far? It could be a moment or it could be kind of a, a bigger thing. Just something you look back on and go, that was amazing. I don't think I could give you one. I'm going to give you three. I know you asked for one, but I'm giving you three. Playing, playing Download Festival, um, because, you know, from the first time I was ever in a rehearsal room with a band, you know, you're sitting there going, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we played Download Festival? And then you get there and you play it and you've packed out the tent, there's 3,000 people in the Dogtooth stage watching you play. You know, that's that's something that, like, no one can ever take that away from us. We've we've done that. We've done that thing that everyone jokes about doing. Wouldn't it be cool if... And we've done that. Wouldn't it be cool if... So, yes, it is cool, for anyone wondering. <laughs> um, <laughs> recording and releasing a full-length album, again... You know, I remember when it came out and we'd been on tour um, and the week leading up to it and I got home on the day that the album came out, 31st of January, I got home and I came home and my family and my girlfriend uh, were all there with bottles of Prosecco, <laughs> bottles of champagne, sorry, uh, like, right, let's let's get celebrating. Um, and that, that was a big moment because that's, you know, all the people and... and you know, well, not all the people, Matt, you know, a couple of people that supported me along the way weren't there, but, um, you know, that's majority of the people who have supported me along the way in my journey, you know, we're all celebrating this massive moment, um, you know, probably one of the biggest moments of my career to date. Um, and that's, you know, that's pretty special. Um, and the third one was, would probably be um, when we, we played a, a headline show at the G2 in Glasgow and the garage um, which was you know we packed it out and we played majority of the set we played that night was um, songs from the album that would had, wasn't released yet and you know you're just coming away from it going look at all these people who came out to see this band that I started you know at that point was four years ago you know and pulled different people in at different points and you know we've all been working really hard and it just it's those wee moments where you see the fruits of your labor you know you know really kind of come you know come to life and and you see everything um and you see how hard you've worked and that's starting to pay off um so there's your three i will accept all three i think they're all they're all very good in different ways i i can't argue with any of them really can't especially like the download one because that's such like a you know if you said that to your thirteen-year-old self, what would they say? <laughs> Play download, tick. And that was something that I had to keep telling myself through the lockdown. Um, that was something that I had, I had to keep keep telling myself was like, you know, because, well, you know what it was like. You're sat there and you're going, "Is music coming back?" You know, I've put so much time and effort into this. Are people even going to remember who my band are when we come out of it? Like, and of course they are. But it's it's this like paranoia that just ekes into your soul and you're just sat there going, is it ever going to get better? Am I going to get to do the thing that I love doing? And I just had to keep sitting there going, mate, like, 
of course it is. Of course it's going to come back. Of course people are going to remember who you are and, you know, have a conversation with yourself when you were 13 and tell them all the things you've done. You know, tell them you've got a Gibson Les Paul. Tell them you've got a Marshall amp. Tell them that you've, you know, tell them all the things that you were sat there going, oh, I wish if I had. Like, you've got most of it. Yeah, stop stop moaning. Stop feeling bad. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Just Very harsh on your teenage self. No, I'm not harsh on my teenage self. It's my teenage self saying, shut up. I want all the things you've got. And 25-year-old me is going, oh. So my last uh, question for you is, what goals do you have for the band in the next six months to a year or so? Six months to a year. Um, we want to release a new album um, with all the new material we've been writing. That's that's definitely the next step. We want to get out and play shows. Um, the, the initial thing for us was that we wanted to get out and, and play as much as possible. But I think this year we're going to be, like, well, in 2022, we're going to be a bit more, not selective, but we, we maybe won't, like smash the market as much as we maybe want to we'll maybe try and release an album you know at some point in 2022 and then really hit the road in 2023 so next year is maybe building a foundation for what we do in 23 i'd say but you know short of that just world domination simple simple as that just just to, you know what we're gonna do tonight same thing we do every night pinky that's exactly what i was thinking about i must say that's my, I used to love that show. Anyway. <laughs> Pinky in the Brain, what a movie. If you're listening to this and you haven't watched Pinky in the Brain, get it watched. Find it somewhere. I'm sure it's on YouTube. I'm sure it's on YouTube nowadays. Oh, absolutely. It's got to be. So, <laughs> to close out the podcast, I'd like to ask you for your favourite song or whichever song you'd like to be played from the band's play at the end of the podcast. So, which song is it and why? Uh, it's got to be Blood and Irony for me um, I think that it's the most unique sounding song on the album I think that you're going to hear it at first and go this is a rock band and then by the end of it you're going to go this is a rock band straight, straight straight, up simple reason can't really argue with that yep, yep. you're going to listen to it and go I'm going to buy that album now fair enough so um, this is Anchor Lane with Blood and Irony Connor it was really good to talk with you yep great to talk to you as well Phil thank you you said it all with blood and irony And I'm not what you think you want me to be